Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings and slither in place because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. Today our discussion finds us wading out deep into the waters looking at the topic of baptism. What is it? What does it mean? Is it necessary? Are we to dampen, dip, dredge, dunk, or douse? <laughs> you covered all of it. That's right, Snake Birds. We're diving into the topic of baptism today. What is it? Is it something we should do? Maybe you have questions, and if you do, you landed on the right episode today because we're going to be discussing all things baptism. Man, I hope this goes swimmingly. Oh, man, we could go for days on these. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So after our discussion today, I hope we can um, be grateful for what baptism is and at the end of the day, walk away with a better understanding of what Jesus has done for us, which will result in everything else to fall into place. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I've come away with a much deeper appreciation of what baptism is and then a much greater understanding of why certain sects of Christianity believe what they believe and and it's been really eye-opening so um, I I hope we can discuss all of that as we go along absolutely it was it was quite a study wasn't it it really was as we went to our study yeah. corners I was yeah. like you know I'll get this done in a couple days and yeah I was just like, wow well, no joke. At the start of this, I thought this was going to be a pretty simple cut and dry topic. But as I studied deeper, <laughs> pun intended and not intended, I realized that this goes much further than I could have thought. Uh, the concept of baptism is older than the New Testament, and the various practices of it are rooted in super deep in tradition, as well as the interpretation of several what we would classify as difficult to understand or decipher scriptures. And, you know, we all interpret the Bible the same, correct? Yeah. <laughs> I had to look up from my notes yeah. with the Bob look, Josh. Yeah. It was like, in an earlier podcast, you were like, this um, seldom reference verse in John chapter 3, verse 16. <laughs> you yes. were like, that was a joke. And I was like, I was deep in thought, okay? Well played, well played. Because, yes, that was a joke. A lot of people look at this differently. There's uh, yeah. there's some a few different stances, and we're going to we're gonna get into all of them on, yeah. this, uh, on this episode. So... Buckled your seats up, and I would say, should we uh, should we define the word, Josh? That's the best place to start. It seems to be popular. So, yeah. baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, and it means to dip, submerge, but specifically the ceremonial dipping. Is that is that what you understand it to be? Yes, just like a buffalo wing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Makes me hungry. Actually, there is a food analogy. I don't know if you've heard this. Go for it. But the clearest example is from a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander. I don't know if that's how you say his name, but he's from 200 BC. He said that in order to make a pickle, (laughs) the vegetable, a cucumber, of course, would be dipped and then baptized. The word uh, used in the recipe for making pickles... Uh, you have bapto, which means temporary, and you would dip the pickle in boiling water temporarily, and then you would baptizo permanently in vinegar. I'll be. That yeah. is that's awesome. Yeah. You know, I think I've heard of that, but that's just that is fascinating. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard of it, but I just came across it just, in like a random corner of the places I was studying. Just make like a pickle and get saved. That's right. <laughs> that's great. And, and don't come out sour. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Yeah. 
Yeah, so there it is, folks. Um, it is to be uh, dipped at like a pickle. Submerged, immersed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you might not know, but baptizing, uh, I think Josh mentioned it already, is, is something that predates Christianity. The Jews, uh, long before Jesus, would sometimes use baptism in the conversion of a Gentile into Judaism. And some Jews practice baptism as a symbol of purification as well. So this is something that uh, has been going on for a while. It's uh, a symbolic thing. And honestly, it doesn't sound too far off from why it's used in the New Testament. The big difference in the New Testament is that baptism is directly related to the already come Messiah and the individual being buried, symbolically speaking, with him. Yeah. So. And I found, um, of course, the literal meaning of baptism means immersed or submerged, dipped. And then I found somebody else that said the figurative meaning of baptism means to be identified with. Oh, nice. And so... Like, that fits perfect. Right? I mean, 1 Corinthians 10, 2 says, All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And right there, you're like, well, that goes way back into the Old Testament if you're talking about Moses. But that baptism right there might have meant to be identified with Moses. I mean, oh, there's... Yeah. There's that's some people perfect. that say that's the way that that would be translated or the way that that would be understood. And that works from every angle. Because, I mean, I would consider a good buffalo wing to be identified <laughs> with a well-prepared uh, bowl of ranch. There you go. So, yeah. Yeah, not blue cheese. Yeah, identified with, of course, my wife does that. <laughs> I just don't get it. But, yeah, that, that works just as good, if not better, identified with. Yeah. Perfect. And so... I'd like to say before we dive all the way in is that um, going into this, we have to remember the words of Augustine. He said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And we don't want to step on any toes here because we realize that this is the subject that I didn't realize that there was such a deep-rooted debate about some of it. And and for me, coming out of this study, I now can see the validity of both sides of some of these arguments. And it's something that I couldn't say before this. So I don't want us to to, you know, come in and going, "Well, your your side is wrong." Yeah. You know, and and what I'd like to do is just for me even, I didn't know why I believed what I believe. And so I'd like to challenge you, if you have a belief about baptism one way or another, study it. Make sure that it's not just deep-rooted tradition. Make sure that it's not just the way I've always done it. I, I just have one quick story. Um, a husband and his wife were in a kitchen, and the husband was sitting at the kitchen table reading the newspaper while his wife was preparing a ham for dinner. The husband watched while his wife cut off about an inch from either side of the ham, and he asked why she cut the end off, saying, that's really... a a good ham, why would you waste so much? And she said, well, that's the way my mom did that. And um, her husband goes, well, why did your mom cut the ends off? That's that's not really that smart. And the wife goes, I don't know. So later on, she called her mom, you know, because it ended in this like, we a kind of a silent dinner. <laughs> yeah. And so she called her mom and she goes, why did we cut the ends off? And the mom goes, um, because that's the way my mom did it. <laughs> and, and so um, all of a sudden you find out that the wife's grandma had passed away several years earlier, but her grandpa was still living. And so she called her grandpa and she said, Grandpa, why did grandma cut the ends off the ham? And he was silent as he kind of tried to recall it. And he kind of thought about it for a minute. And he goes, oh, that was because that was the only pan we had and that's how it could have fit. <laughs> and 
I know it's a silly story, but to me, it's like, find out why you believe what you believe and why you do what you do. So you're not just going off of what everyone else has always done. Yeah, that's super important. It really is. I'm glad, I'm glad you told the story because oh, okay. it's a good illustration. That's a lot of times we, um, we're, we're almost born into beliefs and we mm-hmm. just go with them. And at some point, uh, like you've said in the past, you can't be on the coattails of your parents' faith. And, yeah. and, you know, that goes with some of these stances that we take, too. Well, and I'll just be completely candid here. It's kind of just showing my ignorance. In the past, I'd been uh, somewhat judgmental of those that are in support of baby baptism. And coming out of this study, I actually know a ton more. I'm not necessarily won over by it, and we'll talk about it, but in no way, shape, or form am I nearly as judgmental about it as I was. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting study. I think you are going to like this one. Yes, absolutely. It branches. It branches more than I thought it would. (laughs) Way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, to like where I felt like um, the guy on the the memes where he has the the board and it has yarn all over and he's trying to explain something. I was like, that's how I felt when I was (laughs) studying for this because it was like all over the map. Which is super surprising. Yeah. Just hearing the topic bad yeah, you think mm, dunk. Yeah, too dunk or not too dunk. Exactly. There is no question. <laughs> <laughs> so before yeah. we enter the Oregon Trail here, I'm going to lay out uh, three things baptism does represent in the New Testament. Uh, number one, a symbol of a person passing from death to life. We can see that in Romans six four. A symbol of the cleansing from sin. That's Acts twenty two sixteen, uh, also Ephesians five twenty six, and a symbol of the new life in Christ, and that can be found in Acts two forty one and Romans six three. So it represents a few different things here, and um, the first topic I have uh, in my notes is: Does baptism save you? Hmm. Because that can be a, a a hot topic with some people. Yeah. So are you good if we just jump straight into that, Josh? Let's do it. Let's, Let's do dive it. right in. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sorry. So a long time ago in a religious galaxy far, far away, I was told by a seasoned Christian that baptism itself is what saves you. Okay. They continued by saying, and I quote, some people believe that we are saved by grace through faith, but others will read the Bible and discover that we obey the commandment of baptism that saves. Wow. Yeah. And I, I remember hearing that. And as I thought to myself, I was like, yeah, the person that believes that we're saved by grace through faith is Paul in Ephesians 2.8. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if only it said it in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. And as far as being saved through baptism, which is, I guess you could go to 1 Peter 3.21, Let's get some context here, because if we don't, then the Bible just contradicted itself. Yeah. At which point, why are we even talking about a worthless sacrament in a misleading book? Oy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So context, guys. we got to get some context on this. And, uh, you know, a different person told me that that baptism is the final step that one takes for salvation. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot, there's a lot of different things here. And the Snakebird podcast exists because... It's all about balance. And we're not talking about ignoring one scripture so you can cling to another. It's about balance and mm-hmm. harmony, making sure it means what God wants it to mean. Yes. So as you as you can see, by the way, I just laid that out. This, this is a topic that hits home for me personally, because baptism was not just something I read in scripture growing up. It was obsessed over. Wow. Um, I was even told by a person uh, that 
that if you didn't take this stance, you were embracing the doctrine of demons. Wow. That baptism is. And so that, man, it was a big thing for me personally. But as I began to study for myself, I started to realize that there's many different commands and topics in the Bible that people will build a shrine around. And in every case that I see this happen, it becomes a stumbling block, which in many cases actually hinders the real gospel from being received. So that is my uh, intro into does baptism save you? Yeah. And I absolutely do. I support baptism for every Christian, but baptism, just like everything else that comes from a changed life, is one of many things that we see as a result of the foundational salvation that comes from belief, confession, and repentance. Of which, you know, Jesus did the work, not us, and it's on his completed work Mm -hmm. that we're saved by faith through, you know, by, uh, well, I've already got it backwards. (laughs) Saved by grace through faith. Through faith, yes. And that's belief, confession, repentance. Then all these things are going to follow. Yeah. And you're right, because I found several different scriptures, and, and we talked about this already, but I found several different scriptures that if you just went into them reading their face value and actually didn't do the work of understanding what the the author was trying to say, you actually can come out of it with some really jacked up theology. Yes. Because um, like even that verse you were talking about in First uh, Peter. First mm-hmm. Peter 3.21. So I went into that and... Um, right away I came out with is that the water there that um, Peter is talking about symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. And it's and it's not the removal of the dirt from the body, but yes. it's actually a pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's, that's how we're saved. And so yes. it's a picture of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. It's, it's symbolic because in Noah's day, the flood washed away the problem, the wickedness. Yes. And when a person is baptized, the world's pull is reduced, washed away, drowned out due to the realization of what Christ did on the cross and the proclamation he made, even all the way unto the demons in hell. Mm. And so even according to Peter, baptism was not unto salvation. Water on the body or putting the body in water cannot remove the stains of sin. Only the blood of Jesus does that. Yes, absolutely. So let me ask you this on that scripture. So would Peter be correlating the flood to the, the symbology of an actual baptism in water? Or, because it's clear, he makes it clear, it's not cleansing your skin from the water, it's the conscience. Yes. So it's a heart thing, obviously. Yeah. But then I've heard some say, well, he's it's all about the heart, so disregard the, the, the baptism of, of actual going mm. underwater altogether. Mm. So that that's a big verse for some people. Yeah. I've noticed. And, and, but I mean, I agree with you fully on that one. It's it's not the removal of dirt from the skin. It's it's a heart deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's like, you know, and we find this a lot as snake birds is that the Bible kind of teaches twin truths and they hold each other in tension of one another. And so you're like, yeah, there is a baptism of the mind. There is a baptism yeah. of the heart that is like a spiritual sense. Yes. But then there actually is the baptism of the body and you can't really ignore either. Exactly. It, so, uh, yeah, that, which is why I asked that question. And yeah. that's, that's, yeah, that is, um, I, you said it perfectly there. Oh. It's a balance of them. So I, I, I guess it was a question. Okay. So <laughs> like, I want to say one more thing on this, the pledge that 
Peter talked about in 1 Peter 3.21, he says, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, and then in parentheses, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That pledge was our proclamation or their proclamation of intention to obey God and serve him. If they had reservations in their heart or they were lying, then they wouldn't have this clear conscience. And so Peter reminded them that baptism was their outward commitment to be true to Jesus. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it has to be a heart change and that has to be the foundational thing. Yeah. Because you can, we've said it in previous podcasts that you you can go up and say a prayer or you could go up and get dunked in water, but if Mm -hmm. your heart's not changed, that doesn't do anything for you. Yeah. So yeah, that that's so important to know that very foundational part um, mm. first. Okay, so um, that's that's really uh, all I wanted to say on does baptism save you? I the act of baptism does not save you. No, it is it is um, Romans ten nine. Mm. You know, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, it is that heart change that is built on. Yeah. And I just wanted to go into a couple more verses that might be misconstrued or maybe misinterpreted to say what they said in like the King James or the New King James and give a little bit of clarity to them. Like Mark sixteen sixteen, it says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So right there, we have the first part of it. It's he who believes and is baptized will be saved. It's all about belief baptism in and of itself like when you look at the contrast of the second part of the verse it says but he who does not believe will be condemned it doesn't say but he who does not believe and not be baptized will be condemned and so um, baptism again as we're going to conclude I believe and you know my conclusion at least it's a next step by faith it's something that we do because God commanded it that's true. And I even like in verse 17 there, it says, these signs will accompany those who have believed. Yes. So, I mean, that that's perfect of next step. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then another one is um, when Peter is teaching in Acts chapter 2, uh, you had mentioned Acts 2.41, but even um, before that, Acts chapter 2 verse 38 says, then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And right there we find out that that's the only time in Peter's sermons where he says, oh, and be baptized. So while, again, we're saying that it is something that the New Testament commands us to do, it's not a necessity for salvation. And I want to say this, if we ever view it as a necessity for salvation, then what do we do to the work that Jesus did on the cross? Don't we diminish it? Don't we then make what we're doing as part of salvation a work? And we know that there's so many verses that say, our righteousness, our works of salvation are nothing. They're, they're less than nothing. It's not by works of righteousness that we've done. Yeah. So, so only one thing that I, that kind of leads us into my next thing that I had in my notes, which is the urgency of baptism. Okay. Um, and just, just to clarify, um, it, baptism is not what saves you. Uh, mm-hmm. We went over that, but, um, I think of a person of of a couple like that has just been uh, they're falling in love. They love each other, and they want to get married. The girl's like, "Let's get married," and the guy's like, "Yeah, nah, I'm good." Mm. 
there's a serious commitment issue. If baptism is a next step, I I do want to say this, if it's a next step and it does seem to be one of the very first steps after this belief, this life-changing heart thing, and you refuse to do the very first step, that shows right off the bat, I believe, that there's a serious commitment issue. Hmm. Um, and so let, let me just, uh, I'll go ahead and start what I'm trying to say off by saying we have this picture all throughout Scripture of a new creation. Once somebody surrenders to God, what we've been talking about, and it's at that point, the point of belief, repentance, confession, where a person starts this journey in becoming the image of Christ, this progressive sanctification you may have heard it called. I believe that the Bible shows us right after we've been saved by belief and confession, Romans 10, 9, then the very first steps of a true conversion are repentance and soon after, I believe, baptism. Um, We see in Acts, uh, like Josh just said, 2, 38 and 39, these people right after hearing Peter's first sermon about the gospel, they were cut to the heart, it says. And he says, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He accompanies it, like you said, as a next step. But we also see in Acts 8.38, Philip that explained the gospel to an Ethiopian and instantly after it clicked in his heart, the first thing that was done and approved by Philip was baptism. Mm. So why the urgency, you might ask, for me it's because I see urgency in the scripture. Uh, I see eight examples in the book of Acts alone where right after someone believes they're baptized. Uh, so I do not put my hope in baptism saving me, but I see urgency to do it after someone is saved. Jesus' last words in the Great Commission before going to prepare a place for us was in Matthew 28, 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I know we just talked about the the symbolism of baptism um, it being a heart thing, but we see all throughout the early church that it was also accompanied by a literal water baptism. Yeah. And so, like you said, you can't ignore one without the other. And so I see urgency, and and I'll just say, anyone who really knows me knows that I'm a staunch critic of flaunted religious works. So while some people might get baptized for the show, I do not consider baptism an unnecessary sacrament. Whether we fully understand the deeper spiritual meaning of baptism or not, if we're true believers then baptism is taught to be done not only by the authors of the New Testament, but Jesus himself, from what I see in Scripture. Mm. So I, I do not personally want to diminish, um, Yo, you don't really have to be baptized. I don't believe baptism saves you. But in no way do I see in Scripture that it's just this optional thing that you do. Yeah. So I, I just want to, from my personal stance, and I it that might not have set well on certain years out there, but that that's where I stand in, in how I read Scripture. Well, and I think it is something that you just said, and, and a lot of people can go into baptism with maybe a lackadaisical view of like, oh, it's a suggestion. 
Um, no, it's a commandment, <laughs> you know, yeah. Jesus said, baptize, you know, be baptized. And it's, it's constant in the new Testament where it's like a change of, of life, you know, salvation mm-hmm. and then baptism. And I think, um, you know, when you were talking about two people that fall in love, is it a commitment issue? And, and sometimes that's the case, but I also think that the onus is on church leaders and in, on pastors, of teaching people because sometimes the ignorance is where it's like, well, they haven't been taught. And I, and I realized that as believers, we're supposed to be getting into our own Bibles and receiving from that and going, Hey, this is something that needs to happen in my life. But I also think that it needs to be taught and taught well. And, yes. and that, that next step that a lot of churches are implementing is something that's emphasized going, Hey, you receive Jesus into your heart. Now it's time to have that sign and a seal. And we'll talk about that in a minute of, um, this outward uh, appearance of an inward change, this outward sign of an inward change. Yeah. I used that in a talk with a staunch baptism saves you person. Mm. And he was like, that's straight from the Baptist playing book. You're a Uh Baptist. And Uh I I was like, why does there have to be this black and white? I'm right. You're wrong. And that's, that's, I love why we have this podcast so we can, we can divide the truth rightly. Yeah. So yeah. Well said. Well said. Let me ask you this, Josh. Is there an age for baptism? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Going right there, huh? Well, that's what I got next to my nose. You want me to take it away? Let's go for it. Okay. So you you might have wondered, uh, listener, in the past about what age you should get baptized. Some believe that there's an age of accountability, which would be the base moment that a person would make the decision. For baptism, and some baptized babies, <coughs> Catholics. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, I had a, I had a cough there. <laughs> no, before I leave that diss on Catholics alone, here in a minute, I'm actually, and Josh mentioned it earlier, gonna defend the practice based on much different reason than you think. So, uh, don't scowl at me just yet, or Josh. No, but it, yeah, there's a big, there's a big deal. Some baptized babies, some say absolutely not. Yeah, and yeah. it's not only Catholics that baptize babies. That's true. That's true. You know, because I I was talking to a friend and they were like, "Well, it's not only Catholics." And I was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> so <laughs> hey, I, ignorance was bliss on my on my behalf. So yeah, that's true. There there's there's branching ideas on this. So mm-hmm. I, I for me, unless Josh, you want to hit anything before this, go I f- I have go the, for it. Okay, the age of accountability, and I wasn't originally thinking that we're going to go into this, but I think it's worth a mention. So you're going to get a little bit of a two for one here because it's related to salvation and baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this would be the age where someone becomes accountable for their sins. I've heard fierce debates on this. And the question that many have asked is if the Bible tells us that we're born in sin, and it does, um, there are actually a lot of verses that speak of mankind from birth being born in sin. But the question then usually turns to, well, if we are sinful at birth and sin must be dealt with for salvation and accountability is directly tied to the offender's response of repentance, then what happens to those who can't make that decision because they're too young or mentally challenged to understand? I have actually heard a believer tell people that because of this dilemma, mentally challenged people and babies will burn in hell because their brains can't compute repentance. Oh my goodness. And I've seen, I, I actually saw this said to a mother who was sitting there asking the question. And he's like, yeah, I, I just pray they get to age because they're going to burn in hell. Oh. And I, I just, 
I'm not going to lie. Back then, I was not very self-controlled. I'm a little better now. Mm. But I I mean, I tore into the dude. I was like, dude, you got to shut your mouth. You yeah. can't be saying that to yeah. people. Yeah, I, don't, I don't believe this at all. And I believe that the scripture... Let me just read a couple of verses um, to combat this thinking. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 18, 3. Truly I say to you, unless there... Unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, number one, why would Jesus single out children as those we should be like, that we should strive to be like? According to some, this would mean that Jesus is telling us to become like people who have no salvation and have no maturity to comprehend what they must do to be saved. Mm. Now, that's a, that's a shallow rebuttal. I found also in Isaiah 7, 14, and 15, and, and I'll, I'll just say, though we're no doubt born with a sin nature, there's a clear distinction between those of us who know better and children who do not know better, or the mentally challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, in Isaiah 7, 14, and 15, which is a prophetic scripture of Jesus, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And he will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. Mm. I'll repeat that last part. At the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. So clearly in God's eyes, there is an age of which someone enters a type of understanding where these types of decisions are made. Um, I, I speak to salvation and baptism here because it's, you know, it's the next step thing. So back to baptizing infants. Many have understandably asked, why would we consider infant baptism when the child has no clue what's going on? Yeah. So do you want to take it from there, Josh? Yeah, I I just wanted to speak a little bit more about the age of accountability. Yes. Um, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is those twin truths that the Bible will present. And like you said, um, Romans 5 talks about how we're born into sin, you know, and, and you talk about federal headship. It's like Adam was our, he was our guy and he fell. And because of that, we are born into sin. But then 2 Corinthians 5.10 comes around and says, hey, guess what? We're all going to sit on the judgment seat and be accountable and responsible for the things that we've done. And so you're, you're trying to weigh those two together because you know they're both true. But then you come to like David, King David, who said himself in Psalm 51, 5, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Now, King David, um, he gives us a lot of hope about babies because when his son that he had out of wedlock with Bathsheba, remember the whole Uriah debacle, um, his infant son passed and he, of course, had mourned for him. And then um, after the baby had passed, he's famously on record saying, you know what, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to clean up. I'm going to take a shower. And they said, well, why aren't you still mourning? And he goes, well, he can't come to me, but one day I'm going to go to him. Hmm. And if King David, who had this amazing relationship with God, had any doubts about the destination of his infant boy, 
then that's I, true. You know, I've never thought about that. Yeah. And also coming from another direction at studying the age of accountability, we find that a lot of times the Jewish people would identify the age of about 12 as that specific age. And it's when Jesus was taken by his parents to the Passover. And of course, now we find that there's a bat mitzvah and a bar mitzvah, which is essentially the Jewish coming of age ritual. It's the rite of passage where that age is 12 for girls and 13 for boys. That's when the Jews look at them and say, you're a woman now, or you're a man now. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Um, I found someone who said this, a child has passed the age of accountability once he or she is capable of making a faith decision for or against Christ. And I feel like when it comes to the age of accountability, we have to be careful because I really don't think there is a set age in God's mind. I think he knows our capabilities and I think he knows our understanding. And I really do think it comes down to that whole, I'm going to make a choice for or against. And and that could come at an age early as I think 10 or 11, especially with um, the way that kids are progressing these days. Uh, they're seeming to be more worldly wise because of um, cell phones and things like that. But it also could be all the way up until, I don't know, 15 or 16. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to put a blanket statement on something like that because we all mature so differently. And, but yeah, it's, it's always, it's always been a heart, the heart thing of understanding. Yeah. And one other thing I just remembered from my notes is that the Old Testament refers to children as innocence. And that literally translated that they were taken to court and found not guilty. And so you think about even in the Old Testament that God identified children as innocents. And and I think that plays forward into even our theology of going, why would a child or someone who has limited mental capability burn in hell? That doesn't make any sense. And that would not express a loving God. Yeah. From the Old Testament straight to the heart of the man Jesus, God. He he still felt the same way yeah. about the little children. Yeah, let them come to me. I yes. Mean, yeah, and yeah. become like them, or you're and, not going yeah, to heaven. Have faith like a child. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, no, that's perfectly well said. Um, it, one more, just to uh, to unless there's anything Josh has to finish off the rabbit hole, and I'm it's you got anything else, Josh? One other one, thing. Do it. For me, infant baptism comes down to church tradition and the interpretation of certain scriptures. And and one of those scriptures is found in Romans chapter 4, um, where it's talking about circumcision. And I know we're going to talk about circumcision here in a minute, and because I think there's a ton of correlation. And a lot of people get um, infant baptism from what they believe is all about circumcision. Mm-hmm. But when this gets into the age of accountability and it becomes this argument... What I found is that it's like, well, the Bible doesn't say to do it. And that's what one side said. But the other side says, well, it doesn't say not to do it. (laughs) And then it just becomes um, a preference thing and it becomes a tradition thing. And it becomes like, well, I've been a Catholic for all my life and the Catholic Church has always baptized. Or I've been in the Baptist Church and the Baptist Church does not baptize babies. And I've been that my whole life. So... You know, it really becomes a preference. But I wanted to say this, the most dangerous aspect about misinterpreting biblical passages about baptism is making it a work of salvation. Yeah. That's what we've been talking about. Yeah. Is I would never want any parents to come and to baptize their child and think, this is it. Yes. They're in. Yeah. 
Because like you said, it's more of a sacrament. It's more of a sign. It's not a work. It's not unto salvation. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a snake birdie topic. It really is. And uh, one one more, um, and you can travel down this rabbit hole on your own, listener, if you want to. <laughs> but I'm going to, I just want to, just speaking of God's heart here on the issue is uh, Romans 2.14, which I've mentioned before in the topic of you know, pygmies in Africa. For those who have ears, let them hear. Mm. But um, it says this, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. Mm. You can do your own study on that. But what that verse is talking about, and it for me it gets deep, because mm. we're talking about people who've never had the gospel, do they, are they saved, the pygmies in Africa type of deal. And I, I relate that scripture also to children because... There is, it's speaking about the understanding of an individual of good and evil and what they by nature do. Mm. And so I, Josh laid it out perfectly well, but I just, I thought I'd bring that one up too, because there's so much that speaks of the heart of the individual who is being saved or not. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, that speaks to it. So yeah. I, I end that one there. But um, so in the spirit of truly understanding um, this whole baby baptizing thing, which I admit to, I was not prepared before the study. And I'm glad that I looked into it. But I did some digging and I was surprised to find some logic by, uh, behind why some people participate in this uh, wedding of the child. So one author writes, Baptism is at least partly a covenant act similar to circumcision. Mm -hmm. By this act, the child's parents announce their own membership in the body of Christ and their desire that the child be considered a member as well. Baptism does not convey salvation, but does convey a type of grace. Entering early adulthood, the child will be given a chance to affirm his or her faith through confirmation. Obviously, the child will have no conscious memory of the original baptism, but the child will grow from infancy with the knowledge of having been entered conditionally into the church by his or her parents. Infant baptism is an act of faith by the parents that the child must claim later, at which time some church traditions have a ritual of confirmation. Okay, so I think for some, baby baptism might be a little off. But for others, baby sprinkling or baptism is no different than a baby dedication for other churches without the water component. I agree. It's a statement by the parents of how they're going to raise that kid. So I found that that fascinating. I never knew that. I thought, you know, it was automatically thought, oh, we sprinkled him. He's saved from now on. Yeah. That's what that was my my take on what that meant. Yeah, was, was that you too, Josh? Absolutely. I thought, man, this is that's a lot of presumption. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. I feel, but it was a lot of presumption on my art. I feel a little ashamed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I thought it was a lot of presumption on their mind of like, well, I sprinkle them. Yes, they're good. But yeah. man, I was the presumer. The tables have turned. <laughs> yeah. My, how the turns have tabled. Nice. <laughs> but no, I mean. We've, I hope you've, you know, seen a baby dedication and some pastors talk about this is the wave offering. So we wave our children. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, to me, it's like, I, I'm going to dunk them, wave them. I'm going to, no, but honestly, you just, <laughs> one of them will take. You, no, it's, yeah. <laughs> no, I thought that was such a neat thing. I mean, I, the, the, the issue, and I guess I've always had this. And again, it comes down to personal biases. I don't, prefer the orthodox style of worship of robes and you know the real religious type but i realize that's that's our history 
And a lot of times that's what's been done in churches throughout the uh, last few centuries, you know, worshiping in that style. And, and that's not my preference, but I think it's neat. I just, I didn't want just the, um, the photo op, you know, I don't want this, the, well, what does this mean? And, you know, and, and I think it all comes back to the, the, the desire of the heart, because yeah. some people do it because it's what's been done, but then others say, hey, this is how I am dedicating my baby. Yeah. And I think that's important. It really is. I found it fascinating. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating is a good word for it. So I no longer judge people that I find out <laughs> sprinkle their children. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, well said, well said. So uh, it's curious also that baby baptism, like circumcision, was and is done before a conscious decision. Mm. And I think that's kind of a little bit of a link yeah. that, that's drawn there, which I think you mentioned uh, previously. Yeah. And, um, Unless you got anything else, that would bring us to the fascinating idea of a possible bridge between uh, baptism and circumcision. Okay, so one last thing that I want to say about this, and and I don't want to throw a bomb in the water, but I realize that like some people, they say they have that believer's baptism or they have that confirmation. I do want to say this because I really I was reading, and and anybody out there can correct me if I'm wrong that the Catholic Church is not accepting of a baby that has been baptized being baptized later as an adult. And for me, I really believe that adults should make a decision for themselves to be baptized. And so, um, you know, and I know that might go against what the Catholics believe, but I really feel like even as you were dedicated as a baby, whether it was sprinkled or waved or put in your nice, finest Sunday suit and taken a picture of whatever the parents wanted to do of saying, I offer and dedicate this child to God, I believe that it is an act that an adult should make for themselves once they're past that age of accountability saying that I've received salvation and it's my faith. And now as a step of faith in that, I am going to make this outward sign of an inward change. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. That that's a really good point. And I don't know if this uh, chance they're given to affirm their faith later um, is, it, it sounds like it's not offered another baptism, but I agree. I think it should be their choice. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I'll just sheepishly say, I remember my parents when I was five, I was baptized with my brothers. Yeah. And then I remember when I was in high school as a 14 year old, um, I went to summer camp and I, I went up during the altar call and I responded because I, I know I still had sin in my heart and I know I was still fighting, even though I'd believe that I was saved from the moment that I prayed that, that prayer to receive Jesus in my heart at five years old. I know for me at 14 years old, I was making a choice for myself outside of my parents' faith. They were in Arizona. I was in California and it was all about what was going on in my heart with God at that moment. I jumped in the pool fully clothed saying, I'm making this decision for myself. And so I think there are people that need that opportunity versus going, well, I did it when I was eight days old. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So, so you, you did two of them. You baptized twice. I was baptized twice. They say third time's a charm. I'm just saying. (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, I had somebody try to natural libre baptize me. <laughs> Just walk by. Yeah. I believe in science. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been, uh, yeah, I mean, not to not to be jokey about it, but my brother's tried to baptize me several times growing oh, wow. up. Yeah. <laughs> it just leave you down there long enough to to make sure it takes. Exactly. Put a water hose in your mouth if yeah, they have to. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a joke about that, but we'll, we'll move on. Maybe I'll tell it at the end. Nice. Okay. Okay, so um, baptism and circumcision. Yeah. Uh, so circumcision in general, is thought to have, at least in part, a direct correlation to New Testament baptism. Uh, Circumcision was taken very seriously by God in the Old Testament, whether it's a work or not. It was a command uh, that had serious consequences if one just chose to ignore it. And Paul himself spoke of this relationship between uh, circumcision and baptism in Colossians 2, 11, and 12. I'll just go ahead and read that to kick us off. Yeah. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So that's how Paul connects the dots. But I also want to make um, make the point we don't have to fully understand the quantum mechanics of what God has asked us to do in order to obey it. There are a lot of examples in the Bible where simple things that seem perhaps even trivial or works-based had extreme spiritual power on the other side of the veil. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew eighteen eighteen, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Which I understand that this verse is in relation to something completely different, Mm -hmm. a whole other topic. But Jesus makes this statement that things done on this earth have otherworldly ramifications. I can't help but think of of Daniel in chapter 10 where a simple prayer request from Daniel initiates battle tactics between angels. It's a scene so intense that the archangel Michael had to get involved off of Daniel's prayer. Yeah. And so when God calls us to a commandment, we think of circumcision of this, that's a worksy little, you cut a skin, you know, and some might think of baptism the same way. But, um, and I know we're going to dive into uh, the more correlation, but I I just thought that I would point out that um, right from the get go. um, So when God God calls us to a commandment like like these things uh, or a deeper understanding or anything at all, we should never forget that what we do on this earth makes a big difference. Um, sometimes things might seem trivial on our side, but it'll be of great value to God because God's ways are not our ways. Mm-hmm. So th- th- I'm going to kick us off into the, the correlation right there, Josh. Yeah, and you know what's so interesting is I I guess I'd never heard this before, this study about the correlation between baptism and circumcision. And at first when I started studying it, I was like, baptism is the circumcision of the New Testament. And then like, um, like 10 minutes later, I'm like, it could be. (laughs) And then like 10 minutes later, I'm like, okay, it's definitely not. And then like 10 minutes later, I'm like, wait. So it was really funny, this roller coaster ride of studying it and finding the correlations and finding the similarities, but also the differences. And then to me landing on a place where I'm like, okay, how do we harmonize the two? And are there similarities or actually are there continuances? And so I I know we're going to reveal that in a second, but I I really found this fascinating. Absolutely. All right. So let's jump right in. Um, Let's talk about some of the 
similarities and then let's talk about some of the differences. And so for me, um, right here, uh, I, I mentioned Romans 4.11 earlier, and it says, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that the righteousness might be imputed to them also. And so like baptism, circumcision is a sign. And it's saying that you belong to God and that you believe the promise. And the seal, which is a reminder that God keeps his promise, of a faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. And so we we know that today believers are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God and that they've experienced a spiritual circumcision in their heart. And so when you think about the recipients of the book of Colossians, you think about what they were being told. Mm-hmm. And they were being told that in order to get saved by the Judaizers, that they had to be circumcised. Yeah. What I'd like to say in regards to Colossians chapter 2 and the people who were insisting on circumcision, it's as if Paul wrote circumcision, again, because he has that specific audience, it's as if Paul wrote circumcision is not important. What is important is the spiritual cutting away of the flesh that Jesus performs in the life of every believer. If you want a ceremony to mark the spiritual transformation in your life, look to baptism and not to circumcision. I believe that's what Paul would say. And it, it came down hard from them because they were like, okay, you believe in Jesus, but you also need this. Yes, that's, that is a good point, uh, understanding who he was talking to. Yeah. Because um, I believe the Greek word for that is katatame. Yeah. It's speaking of uh, these people that were having, they were saying you have to do things to get to heaven. Yes. And so right away, Paul is, uh, he's like, okay, I see your circumcision. And let me tell you this, I'm going to raise you baptism because he goes, listen, you're not saved by circumcision. And then he goes, um, why don't you instead be baptized? And you, and for me, that was the roller coaster ride of, oh, okay, baptism is the replacement of circumcision in the New Testament. But then you find out that he actually starts to go away from it because he says in verse 11 of Colossians chapter two, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all your trespasses and so right there where he's saying buried with you in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God baptism is an answer to circumcision but it doesn't illustrate it. Yet baptism does illustrate our identification with the death and resurrection life of Jesus. We were buried with Jesus and we were buried under the water and we were also raised with him and raised up out of the water. Mm-hmm. And so when you start to compare it to circumcision, it has little things here and there. But um, I found that a lot of people actually baptize their babies because of the correlation between baptism and circumcision. Because you circumcise the baby, yeah. a male of Israel, on the eighth day. Yeah. And so a lot of times there were actually parents that were baptizing their babies on the eighth day. Do you, have you read about this? I Well, not in depth, but yes, I, I see where you're going with that, and I have heard that. I was just thinking to myself, if if circumcision was the seal of righteousness, what about the girls? Yeah. 
Exactly. You know what I mean? I know. <laughs> we know that God's not sending all girls to hell. Yeah. So. I know that. And then I had an author that, you know, I was studying was like, well, this was a progression of why it's more inclusive in the New Testament than what the Old Testament. And I'm like, this is where the argument to me starts mm-hmm. to fall apart. And, and again, you're going to find on both sides of the argument because an Acts it talks about different households getting baptized. Yes. Uh, the, the household of Lydia got baptized. The household of the Philippian jailer got baptized. And then the household of Stephanos got baptized. Yeah. But unfortunately, in that household, you don't know if there's any children or babies baptized. Yes. It just says household. Yeah, and I, I did find that, that it's it's the, that keyword household. Um, Acts 2, 38, 16, 15, chapter 31 and 34 mm-hmm. is the scriptures they tend to go to that it speaks of a household. Yeah. And I think uh, there's a lot of room for gray area. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I personally don't like basing uh, something that I say is definitive on a gray area. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I, I enjoy the rabbit hole that takes me down, yeah. but yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. Well, and that again is why I land on, I'm not going to judge somebody for baptizing their baby, yeah. but I'm also going to ask an adult who says that they believe in Jesus Christ, have you been baptized? And if not, why? Yes. Because it falls down again to like, have you made that outward sign of an inward change from God? Yeah. And the circumcision, uh, and like you said, it's it's not direct correlation. Yeah. It, it is, though. It is correlate. I, I think of this already but not yet, I've heard a scholar say. God mm. reveals things in phases. Mm-hmm. And so the, the law came as a tutor. Then Jesus came. And so there's, there's this system of things done in the Old Testament then expounded on Mm -hmm. in greater knowledge and uh, all of that in the New Testament. And then there's going to be another level from here. Mm -hmm. But um, I think of, like you just said, it's an outward sign of an inward change. Mm -hmm. And circumcision was actually that too. Mm -hmm. Well, all right, okay. I got to back that up. I got to back that up because they're babies. Yeah. (laughs) And they didn't. Exactly. But I think, I guess what I was trying to say was... Isaiah, for example, is full, chock full of scriptures that God says, I don't care about this traditional Mm -hmm. sacramental stuff that you're doing for me because your hearts are far from me. Mm -hmm. It is littered with God saying, don't do these things, these sacramental things, if your heart's not right. And so I guess that's where I was going with it. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe it's not as much of a correlation, but more of a graduation. Yeah. Where it's like, it's a progression of it. And I found somebody that said it's an answer to circumcision. Mm. It's the New Testament of, you know, God just saying, hey, this is, this is another way for me to, to find commonality with Christ of his death, burial and resurrection of saying, I'm washing away the old and being raised new, you know, and I love like, I think it was, um, Oh gosh, audio adrenaline, mm-hmm. where they said my sins are forgotten. They're on the bottom of the ocean floor, you know. And I've always loved that that um, that picture, that word picture through that song, where it was like they're washed away because of the symbolism of baptism. Yeah. No, I like that. A graduation. That's a good way to put it. 
there's there's a connection and there's not, but there is, yeah. but there's not. Yeah. And, yeah, and we can go back and forth on it. And there's, uh, unfortunately, I think there's centuries of back and forth on it, you yeah. know, if you want to read, because there literally is debate after debate after debate. And, yeah. and, and it's good to know where you stand on this. I, yeah. you know, I say if Jesus was baptized, it's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> true. What is that joke about the scholar that finally gets to the top of the hill of knowledge to find all of the other scholars still stuck there <laughs> there's a level that none of them can get past <laughs> that's funny you know i was thinking i used to argue about um is baptism necessary and i'd be like well what about the thief on the cross and yeah and i found so many people tear into that about yeah. availability you know and again it's not as much for the the carrying out of the sacrament as it is the heart behind it um, I remember a baptism that I was involved with where there was a man who had a pretty bad um, disability to where he was never going to be able to get in the pool for them to dunk him. Yes. And so what happened, it was a bucket and the bucket got poured over his head and, mm-hmm. and man, the smile that he had on his face was from ear to ear yeah. because he had been baptized and it was that outward sign of, of a changed life. Yes. You know, you know one thing I would say is there's... Um, there, there's something that the Pharisees did, and mm-hmm. it was, it, it was called exacting. They would exact on words, on specific little things that they thought saved them because they followed them. Mm-hmm. And so, when we start exacting on words and um, putting our, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Put, putting all our eggs in the basket mm-hmm. of I've followed this to the T. Mm-hmm. You're in a dangerous spot. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, I think Josh and I both just want y'all to know that it, it is not based on any work that we could do. Exactly. Uh, one comes after the other. Yeah, it, it really does. And not to, not to diminish or say it's not important. That's not, that's not at all what we're saying. No. But one comes after the other. No. And, you know, that's one of the things that I think that we can talk about when we talk about baptism is actually going to one and just seeing the joy and the newness of life. And especially someone who's just recently been saved mm-hmm. and then it clicks on why they need to do it and what's important about it. And just the joy of watching them come out of the water and that first hug, that first high five and going, this is so rad because I remember that experience that I had yeah. and just knowing that you were in the symbolism of it, you just got put to death and buried and then resurrected into new life in Jesus Christ. It's a statement in yeah. front of everybody. Yeah. This is me now. This is who I am. And I appreciate that um, one of the churches that I've been involved with, the pastor used to say, hey, invite as many people as you can because I want them to witness this. I want them to be able to testify of who you are. And I want you to have this testimony in their lives of saying, I was this and now because of Jesus in my heart, I am this. Yeah. And even unsaved people would come to those baptisms and, and maybe they didn't understand what was going on other than the religious ritual of, of it all. But to us, it had such a deeper meaning. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. So that's that's about all I got on baptism, Josh. Yeah. Is there any other things that you want to dive into on it? I, I think in, in a nutshell, we've covered quite a bit. Yeah. I just wanted to close by saying, is it necessary for salvation? No, I don't think so. Because if it was, then it'd be a work of righteousness. We've said that over and over. Is it a commandment from God? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Jesus said, go out and, you know, make disciples, baptizing them. Um, is it something that has to be done before the baptism of the Holy Spirit? No, it doesn't. Yeah, there's examples where the Holy Spirit was dropped on, yes. on different areas of the timeline. Yeah. Well, think about Cornelius. Yeah. He was the Gentile who was faithful, who, you know, rise, Pete, kill, and eat, you know? <laughs> and that's when Peter was shown that he was supposed yeah. to go and witness to these Gentile folks. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. And then they were like, we should get baptized, yeah. you know? Um, but if it's in the book of Acts, we've got to talk about cessationism. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm not going to open that. Is, uh, is, is baptism the New Testament equivalent of circumcision? No, not directly. And yes, as a graduation or a progression of it, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, we had that discussion. So yeah. it's a sign and a seal unto those with faith. And so um, I think for me, the key phrase is those with faith, yes. because there's no good in baptizing somebody who doesn't have faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I just, I, just to elaborate on my end, because it's something I, I do feel strongly about, um, is it necessary for salvation? Uh, no, but I, I want to say I don't believe it's optional either. No. It, I really don't, I, because I have heard sermons where they say, is it necessary for salvation? They say no. They say, then don't do it. Oh. I, I've heard it. I've heard it a lot. And I just, I, from my end, I want to say that if you are a changed person, you're going to obey the commandments. Just, yeah. Just get baptized. Well, is is prayer a necessary for salvation? No, no, exactly. But it comes hand in hand with a relationship. I just, yeah, I agree completely. I just, there's some years that that'll fall on and they see it as an excuse to not do yeah. stuff. And so that's the reason I, <laughs> yeah. and that's in, maybe there's not a lot of people that think that way out there, but I, I know that I come from a background where I've heard a lot of it. Yeah. Well, and I think we're, we're the humans that bow up and it's like, well, you just told me I had to, so I'm not going to. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other side, you know? Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. And I, I just, there are things that are going to come naturally from our relationship with Jesus and obedience has to be one of them. Mm -hmm. And if there is not that call to obedience, then we have to check our heart and make sure, Hey, are we really in the faith? Yeah. And so, you know, I just talked about, um, you have to have that faith because I just want to say whole oceans of water, um, couldn't bury a person in Christ enough to make them alive in Christ. Amen. So it's not about the water. It's not about that. It's about the faith that actually came first. Yeah. You know, and that's the big part about Abraham was yeah. he was, he was already in faith. He was already a friend of God first before he even got circumcised. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then of course it, it changes the well, babies. Well, think of Job. And, yeah. That's before yeah. the law. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. Even if you have an annual subscription to baptism, it, it's not, it's not going to do anything if your heart's not right in the first place. Yeah. So that's pretty much all we got, guys. Um, we did our best to try to skim um, everything related to baptism, but inevitably, I'm sure we missed some things. I'm sure there, uh, if there are questions, if y'all have questions, uh, something you wish we had gone a little deeper on, or if you even just have a topic you want us to look into, we uh, hope you reach out to us. Yeah, please. Um, we 
this is a community. We say that all the time. And we desire that you would connect with us. Um, you can do that through Facebook. You can send us a direct message or you can even post on our page. Or you can send us an email on our website, which is basnakebird.com. And our email is connect at basnakebird.com. And there's a lot of links on our website where you can click that to, to email us. And that would be amazing. Yes. And as trendy and perhaps annoying as it may sound, <laughs> if this podcast has, um, if it's benefited you, if it's helping you out, uh, understand God's word better, uh, please give us a good review. And um, if you deem us worthy, a five-star rating, because it, it really helps more than you know um, with the algorithms and everything. It, it helps push the Snakebird podcast out there to more people. And that's the goal here, not for numbers, but that this would fall on ears that needs to hear it. Yes. So if you could help us out in that way, it really would uh, help us a lot. Big shout out to JD out there. Thanks for doing that for us. Yeah. And it's a huge blessing when you share us. And it's also uh, very humbling when we see uh, somebody who's saying that this is something that's connecting with them and it's something that they would like others to listen to. And so please share us. Uh, We really appreciate it. And we um, are really thankful that you're with us through these uh, types of journeys that we're taking as we continue this podcast. Uh, reach out and let us know of topics that you would like us to speak into. We've got a doozy coming up um, here in the next couple of weeks, and we'll uh, we'll just keep going, um, faithfully plodding along and, and trying to speak into things that are affecting all of our lives. Yes, sir. So with that, uh, always remember, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. Get baptized and be a snake bird.